Welcome to Still Becoming, a podcast about how it's never too late to become more free, more yourself, or try something new. I'm Monica DiCristina, a wife, mother, and practicing psychotherapist. Through my own journey, starting with my struggles with anxiety years ago, that led to my professional work as a therapist now, I am fascinated with the process of how we become who we are. We will hear from people telling their stories of becoming, of unbecoming, and overcoming, as well as from experts helping us learn about our own process in the world. We are not designed to stay the same. Our stories are still being written. We are all still becoming. fan of the work of today's guest for a long time now. I am so excited and honored to have writer Liz Milani on the Still Becoming podcast. Liz and her husband Jesse started the practice years ago when their lives got flipped upside down. The practice is thoughtful, wholehearted, inclusive, devotional writing that I find myself returning to over and over again. In today's episode, we hear a bit of Liz's story and what happened in her life that kind of had her starting over in many areas. We also talk about what to do if the script or the box of your life no longer fits you. What do we do if the house that we were given or the house that we built, metaphorically of our faith or our family of origin, no longer serves us? Liz is such a generous guide to these topics as we dive in together. We also talk about how hurt and disappointment can be some of the most fertile ground for growth. I continue to learn from Liz and her writing, and I loved every minute of this conversation, and her presence is just as warm and welcoming as her writing. I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. Liz, I'm so excited to have you on the Still Becoming podcast. Um, and as I told you, you know, offline before we talked about this conversation, I am such a fan of your writing, just of how you show up with your writing in the world too. It's so inclusive and validating and inspiring. And there's been so many days when I have read things in the app that you guys have or your devotional or on Instagram that have been just exactly what I needed to hear. And as a writer and also as a person whose faith is, you know, my faith is very important to me, but, but I'm a little bit allergic to the cookie cutter kind of faith. (laughs) That's hard for me. I have found such a, a home in your writing. So I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. That's so kind of you to say. Thank you very much. That means a lot. Oh, you're welcome. And um, I'm wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, um, like you said, my name is Liz. I have a partner and I've got three kids and we put together daily, my partner and I, he does a lot of the technical behind the scenes stuff. Um, I do a lot of the front end creative content writing stuff, but together we put together uh, daily posts to help people live their spirituality in real time in their 
own lives, basically. In a nutshell, that's it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I love that. And I'd love to hear, you know, the story of how you guys came to create the practice and how you started sharing your writing publicly. You know, start as as wherever you want to start, but I'd love to hear kind of how you arrived where you are today. Yes. Well, where we are today is is quite away <laughs> from where we began. Basically, it's it's quite a long story, but I'll I'll be nice and brief with it. We were pastors, my husband and I, um, on staff at a large church here in Australia. And as pastors, people would ask us all the time, you know, for spiritual advice. They would tell us the stories, tell us the things that they were struggling with. And one of the things that we found very typical in all of these situations that people were talking to us about was that you know church happened on a Sunday and they were fine with that it was their everyday lives it was like a gap between what they heard on a Sunday and being able to incorporate or integrate that spirituality into their everyday lives so we thought to ourselves what can we give people to help them every day to get their spirituality in their life every day and not just at church on a Sunday. So we started posting these little devotional pieces on Instagram way back in the day. Like I think we started, um, how old's my daughter? We started when she was about six months old. So it had been nearly eight years that we've been posting these every day. And they started off being fairly, I mean, we were pastors in an evangelical style church here in Australia. So they were fairly kitschy, mm-hmm. uh-huh. <laughs> fairly like, just have faith in Jesus right. type thing. Yeah. But it just took off so much faster than we ever kind of even meant for it to. Um, but not long after we began posting these little devotional pieces, our faith took a bit of a turn and we began deconstructing faith and we discovered through a very long and crazy series of events that we could no longer practice our faith inside institutionalized religion as we were experiencing it at that time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we quit our jobs and as like, it sounds like such a quick story, but this happened over, you know, about a year and a half. We quit our jobs as pastors and um, stopped going to church and our little daily devotional offering became a way for us to kind of really explore our faith and discover what it means outside of institutionalized religion and find God in the season that we were in, you know, and it really led us down some beautiful pathways of um, what faith really is and how it really applies to people's lives and, and how, you know, now I'm really, really passionate about people figuring out how they connect with divinity and whatever they want to call it in whatever setting they do and however they find God. I want to help people find God for themselves in their own lives as they are on their own terms, you know. Well, not instead of exclusively, whether or not it's instead of or in addition to their church experience. Yeah, that's the kind of space that we want to create and want to help people in, if that makes any sense. (laughs) It makes perfect sense. and. That was, you know, my experience of reading your writing is it there's such a warm invitation always there. Oh, um, good. Yeah, it just feels like I could bring to it, you know, whatever, where, wherever I'm coming from, whether it aligns exactly with what you're saying or whether it, it doesn't. And that invitation feels so open. Now, I'm wondering if you can define for us and maybe just, just for yourself, um, 
this word, you know, deconstructing your faith. And now I know that this is kind of a buzzword in some, um, in some Christian faith circles. I'm not looking for like a, you know, like an official definition, but just for, for you so that we can kind of understand like what, what does that process look like? Absolutely. Well, I think, you know, we started this sort of process um, in our mid-30s. So up until that point, I mean, I grew up a pastor's kid. I was on the front row seat of every conference, church, concert, mm-hmm. <laughs> everything, you name it. So my faith was a very carefully and deliberately constructed house that looked a certain way, right? Um, and it was very much informed by my parents, my pastor's, you know, I was told what to believe and I just took those bricks of belief and put them in my house and and built this house of faith, right? And then by the time I I found myself in in my mid-30s, I I was looking at my house going, some of this isn't working for me. Mm. Like the roof is leaking, the heating's not working, the electricity goes on and off all the time. Like my faith began to not work for me in my real life. Um, And then I started to discover too, that a lot of the, the belief that was handed to me by my parents or my church or my pastors, I didn't actually believe in my heart and I began to, to discover a lot of conflicting values with the faith that I was handed. So deconstruction basically is, is that. I began to deconstruct this house, this idea, this structure of belief that I had built um, in my life up until that point. And so I hope that metaphor carries. I hope it works. Oh, it's, it's, <laughs> but it's basically yeah. just you take out bricks that aren't working mm. and sometimes the whole building falls down and you start from scratch. Other times you might just need to fix little bits and pieces of it. But I, I actually have found myself in a place now with my faith that it's very fluid. I think rather than thinking that you get to a place where you build this structure that's immovable, faith is something that is actually really and it sounds woo and it sounds really watery uh-huh. <laughs> but it's not yeah faith is really this buoyant fluid flowing free-flowing thing now so rather than trying to pin it down and build this intense immovable structure it's something that um that moves with me it has flexibility you know it bends it doesn't break it helps me question rather than shuts all my questions down. And so that's sort of what my faith has become. So as I've been rebuilding this thing called faith and spirituality and belief, I don't think I'm building some immovable structure anymore. I think I'm actually learning to move with it, so to speak. It's such a powerful um, set of metaphors there. Um, and Oh, I hope so. It really is. My gosh. And and it's so, again, it's such an, I'm using the same word again, but such an invitation because I think, <laughs> I think for so many, um, so many of us, when we find that the roof is leaking or some of the bricks are falling out of the house that we were handed or we constructed ourselves, sometimes it can feel like you, you just have to abandon the whole house and walk away rather than staying on maybe the sacred land. Like maybe the house falls down, um, but, but, you know, still kind of, engaging in questions and and engaging in that faith, even though the faith you were handed doesn't work. Yeah, that's so good that you said that because that's what I found 
uh, through my work is a lot of people. I don't, I don't quite know what it's like in the States, but I know here in Australia, um, Australians don't like talking about problems very much. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, she'll be right, mate. That's our catchphrase. Right. Uh-huh. She'll be right, mate. And so when it comes to deconstructing, what I found a lot of things happening for my friends or people that I know in faith circles, they are just walking away and they don't quite know what to do with that aspect of their lives, you know. And it's a really a really sacred space, I feel like, uh, and it can be really painful for people who have walked away because I, I think here in Australia the message from the church basically is this is the way, this is how you do spirituality, and there doesn't seem to be any um, alternative or addition or sort of openness to how other people might experience God in different ways. It's sort of like this is how you do it, and if you don't do it this way, you're doing it wrong. So people just end up abandoning ship, yeah, and walking away and um, distracting themselves with all kinds of things to, I don't know, try and get on with their lives. But yeah. they don't need to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it, it does feel like a sacred space that you guys have created for for those questions to be welcome, for, you know, people to come as oh, they are you. to explore. Well, one of um, a statement I read that you wrote is, I'd lived a life in a dream state of avoidance ignoring my questions, pain, and doubts, and in turn, ignoring my passions, desires, and joy. And I think so many of us, whether we are, you know, have deconstructed a faith, whether we have a faith or not, I think so many of us can relate to this idea of you know, living in kind of a dream state where we are not in touch with our pain or our desires. Yeah. Can can we unpack this a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I think at some point, the kind of faith and the the spiritual work I was involved with, involved in and engaging in became a distraction, became a way for me to band-aid over and ignore some of the questions and some of the values that I felt weren't being honoured by my faith tradition that I had in my life. And in turn, I saved myself, not saved isn't the right word, but I avoided touching my pain and my dissonance for quite some time. But I also, in doing that, avoided touching my desires and my my goals and my dreams. So I had maybe an, an example of that to make it really tangible for people. When I was in high school <laughs> and preparing for what was going to come after high school, I had so many dreams and desires and so many things I wanted to achieve and be and become. And I loved uh, sci-fi fiction. And I read a lot of Celtic. This is so random. But I read a lot of Celtic mythology and historical fantasy. And I remember having this thought, like I lived for it, yeah, you know. Yeah. I'd take off, I'd feign sickness for a week at a time to read a series of <laughs> uh, Stephen Lawhead books uh-huh. for those nerds out there who are listening. And then I, I had a meeting with a pastor and they basically said to me, you're going to have to put away your childish things so that you can connect to your destiny. And, you know, for a long time, as a teenager, I, I had a dream of being a fiction writer. I wanted to write for, like, like, you know, when you're a kid, you have all those big, massive dreams, right? I wanted to write for screen. I wanted to write books. I was, like, in it. And this, this pastor basically said, look, that stuff doesn't help anybody. You need to put the childish things 
to bed to connect to your mature destiny to what God is calling you to do. So I actually remember having this moment where I went, okay, I'm going to turn that off. I'm going to turn off passions and those joys that I have connecting with fiction and dreaming about writing the screen and loving Celtic mythology as random as that seems, but I'm going to come back to that point in a second. And I'm going to, I went to Bible college and became a very serious um, try hard, (laughs) try to be this type A leader, preacher, woman who was awesome and decisive and not involved in childish things. And um, it didn't work. And I was sad and I was passionless. And years later, maybe 10 or 12 years later, I reconnected with that Celtic that love for Celtic mythology through a theologian named uh, John Philip Newell. And I cannot recommend his work more. But I, I read a book of his called The Rebirthing of God. And it's just full of how the Celtic tradition uh, talks about divinity and God and faith. And I tell you, Monica, it completely undid me and also married me back to those passions and those desires that I had as a as an 18, 19, 20-year-old that I was told were childish. But that is how, that was a way that I really understood God. It was a pathway for me that led me to that led me to open my heart and my life up. And it might seem really random and, and seem really strange, but I believe everybody has that kind of unique and individual way that they connect in that opens their heart and their life up and for a long time my spirituality became about shutting those things down and doing what I was told um, you know toting the the party line doing all the things that I was told being a good Christian was about and um, you know I got to avoid my pain and avoid some confrontation with some bad habits that I had and limiting beliefs that I had for quite some time by burying myself in the work of being a good Christian soldier but I also disconnected myself from my joy <laughs> and my passion mm. um, so I don't know if that oh if it's that great the answer yeah it's such a powerful illustration and I would imagine that so many people listening even if um, they you know don't have that same experience or anything near that experience I think so many of us have been brought up in a, in a box you know whether that is a faith box or um, just uh, the the culture of our family box where who we are and who we feel that we're created to be you know may not check check the boxes that we're supposed to have. And then we discard that. And it's such a beautiful homecoming of you, you know, coming back full circle to, to sounds like to to the way that you're wired. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. I was, it was a a surprising thing for me, you know, because I, I remember going, oh yeah, maybe that is childish. Maybe that is stupid. And I remember this pastor saying once to me as well, oh, TV is a waste of time. (laughs) Um, And I love, (laughs) and I beat myself up over that for ages because like, look, I love a good binge. Yeah. I love good TV. Yeah, absolutely. But I love stories. Mm -hmm. I love storytelling. And to be able to shake off those ideas of, this is what a good pastor looks like. This is what a good person looks like. This is what a successful person looks like. And just reconnect to myself and what I love. And uh, what lights me up has been a really healing journey. 
So. That sort of freeing journey, it comes through in your writing for sure. I mean, I feel like it's, it sort of um, allows other people to feel that permission too. There's so much sort of permission in your writing. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Let's talk about um, changing the script of our lives. It's kind of related to this, that um, no matter what, what our background, and I think you know, maybe many listeners can can relate to kind of what you're describing, even if it isn't identical to feeling like who they are is um, is maybe not what their faith tradition allowed. Um, but so many of us are laboring under a script that we were given, you know, maybe by parents, uh, maybe by our faith tradition, or one that we felt we needed to create. Um, but let's talk about sort of the fear and the freedom in changing the script and choosing to change it. What, what helped do you have courage to do that? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big question. <laughs> um, look, it's, it's a good question because it is really scary um, at the outset, you know, and I am hesitant to say this because I know that not everybody has this experience, but my partner or my husband, Jesse, he was a really big part of helping me have the courage. And I know not, that's not everybody's experience. Sure. And I want to hold that space and that tension for people. And I don't think you necessarily need a supportive partner or husband to do it. That's just how my experience was. I think I was so entangled in the structure of Christianity that I was in. I literally needed somebody to grab me by the arms and pull me out. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, yeah. Jesse kind of did that a lot for me and helped me and, and, and was with me. So maybe a supportive person, which leans into the next thing that I would I would say, both of us felt like when we were really actively and engaged in the work of changing our beliefs and we were very, um, even though it kind of all happened very rough and tumble in the beginning and we kind of stumbled upon a life that looked nothing like what we thought it would we became very intentional about rewriting these beliefs and, and starting again. But we felt so alone and so isolated for so long. Uh, we found a podcast that I called the, the Liturgist Podcast and they talked about their experiences uh, with deconstructing their faith. And instantly, like I remember the night we found this podcast, it was Jesse's birthday, and um, we had two little kids. My mum took the kids poured ourselves a glass of wine, lit candles and listened to podcasts and cried for hours. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Birthday. That's how we oh. celebrated. Well. But it was like the first moment that we felt like everything was going to be okay. And so I think like connecting with other voices, even if like we don't know these people at right, all. Right, right, right. <laughs> but we, we just invited ourselves into their story, which is great. That's what the content is out there for. So I would say to people, one of the ways, to rewrite it is even if you are all alone and isolated and you feel like you're doing it on your own connect with other voices on the internet seek out books seek out podcasts I mean podcasts are amazing yeah it, like even though we're recording one right now I'm yeah. not like <laughs> doing what it is right. but they've they've been a lifesaver for me because I don't necessarily have to know anybody in my world that are experiencing what I'm experiencing, but I connect, I can connect with other really personal and candid stories about what other people are experiencing. And so I would just say to people, connect with as many of those kind of stories as you can. And, and that's what really helped me go, 
oh, it doesn't have to look like I was so trained to thinking that it needed to happen a certain way and I needed to be a certain way that hearing all these different ways that people have rewritten their lives I just went oh I actually really am in charge here like I get to do it I get to decide for myself you know and there's no right way to do it the only right way to do it is the way that I do it if that makes any sense like there is no template there is no seven points to rewriting your life the right way the only way to do it is the (laughs) it's the way that you do it but I only learned that by listening to so many different stories of other people doing it I remember reading um I can't remember if it's in Eat Pray Love or Big Magic by Liz Gilbert but she just said if you need a permission slip here it is. I will write it for you. And that was a real turning point for me because I think I always felt like I needed permission or I needed guidelines. And I'm like, no, the only guidelines that I need are to connect with who I am and outwork it from there. And um, unfortunately, I think, you know, it would be really easier, so much easier if there was you know, a dummy's guide to rewriting your life and a (laughs) really easy way to do it. But the only way to do it is to face yourself and show up in all that you are, the good and the bad, because they're both valid and they're both worthy and they are both helpful and go from there. Oh, my goodness. I suppose. Oh, oh, gosh, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Oh, oh, it's God. all experiential. I mean, <laughs> it's, it is experiential. You're right. I think that's an important point. But gosh, I mean, I'm I'm taking notes of what you're saying. It's so <laughs> it's so powerful. I mean, you know, that connecting to other voices so that you know you're not alone. So if you if you have one of those in in real life, great. But if you don't, which many people listening won't, you know, connecting yourself to those voices and then showing up and facing yourself and giving yourself permission that you are actually in charge of where you go from here. Now, that is a message that I would say is so important for all of us to hear. I I don't know what it's like in Australia, but I would say, um, you know, in the United States, I would say as a woman, that is a message that um, I I don't think we can hear enough. You know, I just think it's an important message. It's the same here. It's the same here in Australia. Oh, I just, I love everything you just shared. And I can only imagine how many people listening will, will be helped by it. Um, And just hearing your story, you know, that I think that that's how we learn and grow. Just like you, you know, connected to that podcast that we hear your story. Yeah. I just, I found it so powerful, both that the couple of the specific podcast episodes that we listened to that night of Jesse's birthday, but, and just Liz Gilbert saying, if you need permission, here it is. And it impacted me so much that I was just like, if I could be that for other people, uh, that really encapsulates my work now, I suppose. Um, I just want people to feel permission, like taking responsibility for your own life can seem like such a drag, right? <laughs> such right. a like uh-huh. uh, a um, constriction on freedom. But it's, it opens the whole damn thing up, you know. Like I found taking responsibility for my life has been the most freeing and healing experience. Oh, it's been hard too, don't of get course, me wrong. Of course, But when you realise, when you take your power back and you realise that you've been in charge all along, and actually this happens back to that question you asked me 
before about avoiding pain and avoiding joy, I feel like my whole spiritual life was giving my power away. Like everything good that happened in my life was God's fault and everything bad that happened in my life was my fault. (laughs) And so I, there was no point of power for me. There was no point in my spiritual discipline where it was, you get to choose. The only choice like that was presented to me was you either choose God or you choose hell or whatever. And I'm like, that's, that's not how it is. Like you actually get to decide and taking responsibility for my own life and going, no, 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 no. I don't have to give my power away. And that's actually not when you, and this is something that I explore in my own work and we don't need to go into this here because I know you've got a very diverse community, but in the, um, the religious tradition that I come from in searching the scriptures again and rediscovering the Jewish and, and Hebrew context and culture of them, it's so far from the message of Jesus I'm discovering. The message of Jesus is about taking responsibility for your own life and it is about showing up in places of hardship. It is about being your true and full self and it's not so much about these things that we've been told about constriction and, you know, doing what you're told and being a certain way. So, you know, one of the things that you have written too, is that um, about faith is that it isn't a destination. And this is kind of related, I believe to what you're saying or a dogma yes, or a certain how to beliefs and code that it's a verb. It's a way of transportation and it's meant to bring us closer together so that we can, do the work of figuring out how to belong to and with each other in this crazy, messy, beautiful world. Um, it's so beautiful. Can can we talk a little bit about faith as a verb instead of a destination or a dogma? Well, I, I think that's part of the issue with modern day, you know, the pockets of institutionalized religion that I've had in contact with. It, it can get really easy to turn faith into a list of rules like this is what it looks like to have faith Uh, this is what your life will look like if you're a person of faith you'll you'll do this you won't do that you'll come to church every Sunday you'll give away this much money and you won't swear and you won't watch certain tv shows It, it definitely becomes very easy and tempting to define faith by a list of standards but um, faith is is a verb. Faith is how you move about in the world. Faith is how you make choices. Faith is about how you connect with other people. Faith is so much more about movement than it is about standards. And I think we all have different experiences and we all connect in with God in different ways, whatever we call God and whatever we call spirituality. We all um, connect with other people in different ways as well. So how can there be one list of very exclusive and set standards that describe what faith is if we all experience life and connection in different ways? So I think faith always leads to, now that sounds like a rule, doesn't it? (laughs) But I found that that faith always leads to, in my experience, Yeah. uh openness and connection and healing 
so I don't care what label people put on it now. Like I think healthy spirituality leads us to each other. It leads us to see each other and hear each other, to see and hear ourselves and to connect into the fabric of the universe that holds us all together. Um, I don't know if I'm explaining it very well oh, because are. it's such an intangible thing, you know, and I, I, yeah. I always found it so funny that in um, the church experiences that I've had, we sing these songs about faith having no boundaries and, you know, grace being bigger than we can ever dream of. But then we get to the preaching and it's very defined and limited and this is what faith looks like. And I'm like, I think we're much better off to help people learn how to move with faith than teach people what standards faith come in. I don't know. I'm not quite sure if I'm hitting that definition well, but, you know, I'm much more interested in helping people move in their own life with the circumstances that they're in, with the things that they have, how to connect with faith in, in their own way than making people feel like they need to live up to any kind of standard or dogma or doctrine or set of beliefs to find faith. Faith is available everywhere you are, no matter where you are, no matter what you're in. Mm, love that. That it, that it meets people where they are and that this idea of healthy spirituality leads us to connection. Um, that is such refreshing um, such a refreshing view. And, and I couldn't agree more that I think that healthy spirituality leads us to connection, but, but so often, it, and, I, and I'll just speak from my own experience in some Christian churches that I found myself in, in my in late teens and early twenties, it was more about defining yourself as um, different than other people. It wasn't about yes. connection. No. Um, and <laughs> yeah. And so I just, I, I find this such an important point and I, and I really couldn't agree more. I remember I had this experience when I was uh, in my early 20s and I just started being a pastor on staff at a church and we were doing a community Christmas party down at the park with all these other churches. And the senior pastor of our church, so like our boss, basically said to me, we're not getting on stage with that other church because they believe this and we don't believe that and we need to differentiate our stance on this issue and I just in that moment felt this real tension of does it matter right, like, come right. on uh-huh, but uh-huh. also yes we're good Christian soldiers and we know the truth and like I had this real dissonant experience of wanting to be wanting to belong to my tribe but also just going out oh, shouldn't we just be there with each other and connect with each other. So it can be really confusing for people, I think. I think it can be really confusing for people. Yeah. And I think that, you know, connecting to all of it, like we talked about earlier, connecting to what, what you don't agree with, allowing yourself instead of being avoidant, but just to, to feel it all feels like an important step. Although it's going to of course look different for all of us. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about a little bit, the role of art or in particular writing um, and understanding yourself and, you know, and as you're changing and this will look different for everyone as well. It could be journaling. It could be talking to a friend. It could be something painting. Um, But how do you think that art and writing has um, kind of played into you understanding and um, walking through these really big questions in your life? Uh, Well, I'll, I'll probably focus more on writing. Um, That's sort of what I connect in with most. But 
the daily practice of, you know, writing these spiritual posts that we've posted in various places over the last few years has made me show up to my spirituality. And I, I don't think that without that discipline, I would have been able to commit to doing the work as intentionally as I have. And there's been many days where, you know, I've turned up to the page to write something for our community and I don't feel like it's good work. I don't feel like it's well thought out work or well researched work. (laughs) But it has been me just going, I don't know what I believe anymore. But just getting it out on paper and putting it down has really helped me be able to articulate where I'm at. So it might not be something that's consumable for other people, but it's helped me go, oh, that's what I think, you know, because when it's sort of bottled up in my head or in my heart, I don't know what other people are like, but I see it, I kind of connect to it as shapes and colours and objects and not actual articulated ideas. So I have an idea of how it feels in my body to be experiencing what I'm experiencing but I can't put it into words and I have found that until I am able to put it into words I haven't been able to process it well so just that practice of finding out going okay I have this shape in my head sounds so ridiculous it doesn't to me <laughs> at I all have this yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> okay okay and it's like like a lump in your throat, right? Exactly, yes. Shape of a feeling in your body, in your mind, in your heart, and you're just not quite sure what it is. And writing it down for me has become a way of articulating it to a point where I can identify it and process it. And it's been a very, very powerful tool for me. And then recently, um, this might just be a little shout-out to Uh, one of my friends but I've come across the work of Nicole Sachs and she's a psychotherapist and she helps people overcome chronic pain by journaling and so I've begun this practice of this form of journaling which is more like a stream of consciousness so you come to your page and you know basically what you're trying to do is empty your body of toxic thoughts and toxic emotions that you may have been repressing over years and years and years and so you come to the page and you just this is if people want to know more about it they can go find Nicole but you basically come to the page and you just write whatever comes to you about whatever situation it is and so you might find that you journal for 20 minutes and it's just full of f words and (laughs) I hate this person and this experience I went through sucked and how dare they but at the end of it you delete the page because that's all toxic garbage that needed to be put out of your body and out of your system and at the end of it you feel cleansed you feel like you've gotten gotten something out so for me writing and journaling in both those ways like learning to articulate how I'm feeling but also just using writing and journaling as a dumping ground for toxic shit that you don't want hanging around in your body has been transformative and I, I could not encourage people to do it enough and you don't have to be a good writer you don't have to be you know wanting to write as a vocation or or anything. I just find that writing things down has really helped me articulate, process and eject stuff from my body 
and my mind and my heart. And um, I love the way you describe the, you know, that sometimes a feeling could feel like just a shape or a lump in your throat. I think that's such an important point because um, so often when we are, you know, in an emotion, we don't, we don't have the fancy cognitive words for it. Exactly. And, yeah, yeah. and writing it out helps us integrate that process. And so I think for, you know, people listening who maybe some of your story might resonate with them, whether it's they're from the same faith tradition or whether they're not, whether it's something that they're trying to change the script in their life from their family of origin, that kind of writing about that process could be a really important part of them just understanding where they're headed. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think right up there with it, I know this isn't about writing or art, but as a therapist, you will appreciate it. But finding a good therapist. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Is mm-hmm. gold. Yeah. Because for me, writing is just another another way of talking. Like yeah, exactly. You're just talking to yourself, basically. But communicating, writing is a, is a form of communication. And when you allow your body to communicate what it's going through, it's so powerful and so helpful just to get it out. That's that's the picture that I, I use. It gets it out of your body and it gives it somewhere to express itself and become. And um, finding a good therapist has been, you know, transformative for me. And I, I think it, it's something that every single person on the planet, um, <laughs> yeah. I wish everybody yeah. had the resources for know, it. Um, but it's something I'd like to see be made mm-hmm. more available for more people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm obviously a big fan of therapy too. And, you know, <laughs> I, I think it, it plays back to that idea that you said a while ago about connecting with with someone, you know, when you're going through something or when you're, when you're deconstructing something in your life or or trying to reconstruct something in a way that feels more trying to authentic. Yeah, that feels like a if you're if you're trying to hold on to your faith but have it make sense in your life now, um, it can be so helpful to have someone to process that with. Yes, absolutely. Well, let's talk about the role of writing um, in addressing the importance of inclusivity and speaking out about injustice, um, in particular racial injustices. This is um, you know, something that people are talking a lot about right now, but people have been talking about forever. Um, maybe maybe I should say that people are listening more now. Um, Hopefully. And, <laughs> yeah. And so tell us a little bit kind of about how you see your role maybe as a writer putting things out into the world that I feel like each of us with whatever it is that we're addressing, whether it's a type of injustice or something else, you know, using our own gifting is a, is a really a can be a powerful way to engage with that. I think a lot of people use their gifting or, you know, they take what they feel called to do in life or what they feel they're put on this earth for, what they're good at, what they're passionate about as a way to reinforce their own validity. So people might use, and it's completely understandable. Um, I think that's how most work starts is people go, oh, my goodness, I'm going to put myself out there. Are people going to like me? Is it going to connect? Um, and it's a really good way to come into ourselves. Um, but, you know, it, it is a self, can be really self-validating. And sometimes our work can sit in that rut of being about this, like a self-validating tool. And I, I think at the start, you know, especially uh, I, so I'm, I'm not for a second going <laughs> to pretend that I'm really good at standing in um, 
uh, places like this well sure, and passing sure. the mic well at all. I've got so much to learn and all of that. But I think one of the really foundational places for people to start is when people can figure out that they're enough on their own and that they can kind of accept themselves and they don't need any validation for anybody from anybody else and they which is it, it can be a lot of hard work to get to that place but I think when our work can become less about propping up our own ego we can create room to share and we can create space and generosity to pass the mic you know from white voices to black voices to people of color we can and that doesn't you know because I see a lot of white people online at the moment going oh look how great I am (laughs) I'm I'm making room for people of color I'm like oh wow when our work can become less about ourselves less about propping up our own ego and making ourselves feel like we've earned a space in the world and when we can just take up our space then I think we're in a much more powerful position to hold space for other people and to invite other people to take up their own space and to tell their truths and their stories Um, and I think through my writing to be completely honest oh my goodness you know a number of years ago now like maybe five years ago five or six years ago I became really paralyzed online and I was like, I should be, especially with my faith tradition, I should be a justice warrior. I should be doing this and I should be advocating and I should be all things to all humanity, right, you know? Right. Yeah. And I completely paralyzed myself because I wasn't sure how to do that well and I wasn't sure where to do it and how to show up. And then I'm like, well, I can't say anything if I'm not saying stuff about these issues and I got myself all twisted up about it but I have found since then on this spiritual journey that I'm on rather than my space online or my writing or my work being about propping up my own ego like finding my validation from how many people connect with my work how many comments I get how many likes I get it's much more natural for me now to talk about inclusivity to talk about areas of um, culpability that I'm involved in, that I'm deconstructing in my own white privilege. It's been much easier for me to engage in that work because I'm cool. I'm, you know, of course I have esteem issues like everybody does, but at the end of the day, my focus is like my work is a work in progress. I'm a work in progress. I am enough. And if I'm enough, then I'm free to get it wrong. I'm free to learn and I'm free to pass the mic and not just pass the mic, but like to challenge myself. You yeah, know? absolutely. Like, to grow. Am I following only white people? Am I following? Am I in an echo chamber of my own making? Am I actively engaging in the world at large or do I just talk about actively engaging in the world at large? So it's got to be less, um, oh, I'm going to create space for people of colour more about engaging the spaces that already exist and opening up my life to those spaces and letting them be influential to me and in my space, if that makes sense. It's a much more, like I think Christianity, the Christianity that I grew up in, and this is probably the only place that I'll be really quite uh, aggressive (laughs) about it. (laughs) Uh It fostered a saviour complex in people 
in the way they do missions, the way that we even proselytize and evangelize. It's all about me having the answer, me knowing the truth, me spreading the good news, me having the thing and you not having the thing. And now I think, um, you know, in the, the spaces of inequality, whether it be racially, whether it be um, LGBTQIA+, for the queer community, um, rather than <laughs> people going, oh, yeah, I'm going to create the space and I'm going to engage. It's sort of more about shut up. <laughs> exactly. It, yes. Uh-huh. And um, like engage those spaces for yourself and do the work for yourself. It always comes through in people's work. It always it's less about making a declaration and more about your practice. What are you practicing in your life? And of course, there's a time and a space online where you should change your practice and make a declaration and all of that. But I think especially in these days when online can be so performative, you know, a real intention and, you know, deliberation on what are you practicing and what are you opening your life up to um, has got to be engaged. And that will always come out in people's work. It's sort of like you've got to put the people think, oh, if I make a declaration and, and a big song and dance and things will change. And it's more like you've got to do the work of change first and then you'll find that your advocacy and your inclusion is going to be much more natural and organic and helpful. Yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Well, you know, as we start to wrap up today, then, you know, I wanted to talk about some of your pieces and I, I couldn't really pick, you know, just one. Um, but I thought that, you know, as, as so many people are in, um, at least in, in the United States that might be listening, we're in the throes of the pandemic. Um, and you, you write in your series, how to see in the dark, you wrote, you can be grateful and sad and brave and afraid, hopeful and tired at the same time. And there's so much permission there. I don't, I don't know if there's anything that you might add to, um, you know, to people listening who are in their own dark places, whether it is um, because of the global pandemic and the isolation and the grief and the economic losses or just their own mental health dark place. Yeah, I think... All I would add to that is just to encourage people that you can feel so many different things at once. I mean, I know for us, you know, the pandemic here in Australia, I think in New South Wales at the moment where we live on the East Coast, just above Sydney, we're not in any major restrictions right now. We've come out of a lot of that. But the state below us in Victoria, they've just gone into stage four lockdown. So they've got curfews. They're not allowed out of their house except for an hour a day a lot of businesses are closing the schools are shut it's gone back into that um, very fearful place and on so many different levels you can feel the pressure to feel fear like you can feel like there's a certain way that you've got to be in a pandemic that you've got to be serious and you've got to be afraid and then on the flip side, you can feel very serious and very afraid, but then random stuff happens that makes you smile and you can feel guilty about that. Like there's so many different things happening in your life. And I think that people need to use that as a permission slip. If there's so many things happening outside of themselves, then it's perfectly fine and normal for so many things to be happening inside of themselves too. And that they're all worthy, you know, they're all, they all play a part 
and um, the fear is real and the uncertainty is real. Like Jesse, my husband and I, we were just set up last night going, we didn't even know what's going to happen, you know, and we let our minds go down all these different trails of what's the smart thing to do for us financially, what should we do about our kids and I think you've got to open yourself up to moments of joy in this space because otherwise it, it can just feel very bleak and that can um, make you feel powerless. And I'm a firm believer that joy is everywhere, hidden under the surface of things, and it's ours for the taking. And no matter what we're experiencing, um, and joy is not happiness, right? Joy is that acknowledgement of the connection to divinity and life and each other it's that little warmth of we're not alone uh we're in this together it's not necessarily joy isn't necessarily this oh yay everything's great and fine and happy and I'm gonna do a little dance right right. Uh like I don't even know how to explain it but I think we've got to let both things exist that fear and joy can exist simultaneously and that people shouldn't feel bad for being confused about their feelings and and give themselves permission to feel it all, figure it out, be where their body needs them to be, be where their mind needs them to be, but also to make decisions about how they want to go through this. So, you know, Jesse and I have made decisions. It's There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of fear but we're not going to allow ourselves to become undone by it. And um, we make a decision. Okay, well, we need to laugh. So let's find some funny cat videos. Right. (laughs) Or, you know. Right, sure. Like we can can decide and make decisions about where we're going to. We're going to let ourselves fit. We're not going to repress, but we're going to be open Mm, to the full scale of what's before us. I love that. I love that. I love, again, the permission really does come through um, in just in just how you are and how you engage in <laughs> topics. It really does. And I, I love your description of joy as, as that warmth or that connection to the divine or to each other. I've never heard that description of joy, and, and I love that. Well, final question um, that I ask everyone at the end of the interview, which is what is one person, event or thing um, that helped you become who you are today that helped um, form the Liz that we're speaking with today? One person, I don't know. They're a mentor from afar that they don't know that they're a mentor of mine. Yeah. uh (laughs) But some person that I really look up to um, and that has really helped me um, has been Rob Bell. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. And it's not necessarily you know, everything that he says, I'm not saying I necessarily believe everything that he says, although I I do find myself definitely on the same page as him spiritually, but just because he used to be a pastor himself of a mega church and, you know, we were pastors in a, a mega style of church and watching him leave that all behind and start again and become something new himself, but not even something new, just become more himself He's really led the way for me in that space of, um, yeah, just owning my own spirituality and being true to who I believe I am and what I'm here to do. He's been very instrumental in that space for me. So, and then if we want to get all nostalgic, yeah, uh-huh. my husband literally, like, I know not, I, again, I, 
I'm not assuming everybody has this and I want to hold space for that. But he really has, you know, we've gone through some very rocky moments during this deconstruction. I mean, he became an atheist for a couple of years and I was still like, God is real for a couple of years. But together somehow we've grown closer, even though our beliefs may have drifted further apart. And he's been um, very supportive and with me, but also not just in supportive in a, oh, Liz, it's so awesome kind of sure, way. Sure. He's really known, and I think everybody needs somebody like this, he's really known how to ask me the hard questions, wow. you know, yeah. and he knows when to show up and say, hey, that's, you're being a real jerk yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and you shouldn't do that. Or like this belief is really limiting you and um, how can we? And then he allows me to do that back to him as well. So, you know, I know he's my partner and my you're like, you know, romantic, whatever, blah, 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 but our just our relationship has been really that way. And I don't think your romantic partner, that has to be your romantic partner. Exactly. I think you can find right. somebody who can be that for you, you know, I wouldn't be where I am without that. Yeah. So. I love both of those so much. Thank you for sharing them. They're so, it's illustrate the power of connection with someone who sees you, who can challenge you, whatever that relationship. Um, it also illustrates the power of hearing other people's stories that we often yes. find ourselves in other people's stories or exactly. we find that permission slip in other people's stories. Yeah, yeah it's so absolutely. So thank you for sharing, uh, you know, a bit of your story uh, today. And my hope is that people listening would would have that experience listening to your story um, today. <laughs> I hope so. Thank you so much for having me. It was, it's been a real honor. So thank you very much. It's such an honor for me. And I have just been such a fan for a long time of your work. And I'm just so excited <laughs> to have gotten to talk to you about it. So thank Aww, you for coming on. Pleasure, Monica. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Liz as much as I did. I have found myself returning to some of the topics and the themes and the wisdom that Liz shared over and over again since this conversation. In particular, I find myself thinking about the beautiful image of deconstructing a house and building a new one, the idea of permission, the responsibility of taking charge of your own life and that we don't have to be perfect to be at peace. For more information about Liz and about the practice and where to find the devotional app and the print devotional, we'll have everything linked in the show notes for this episode. Thank you for listening. For more information, please go to stillbecoming.net. Please subscribe and review Still Becoming wherever you listen to podcasts if you like what you heard here today. Please follow along on Instagram. You can find me at Monica DeCristina. Thank you for listening.